Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. Ah, yes. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. If you're Northern Irish, chances are that you absolutely love these great little things that come deep from within the earth. We cook them, we love to boil them, we mash them, we stew them, we fry them, we hash them, we do just about everything to them, and they taste so great. But I'll be honest, I don't know if you're the same. Potatoes can be a bit of a pain to cook. It's really the peeling that I don't like, you know what I mean? I'm always cutting my knuckles, no matter how many times my granny shows me the right way to peel them, I'm always doing it. And then, you know, you've got to, got to get the pan out, you've got to boil them, it takes time to cook them, and you kind of just wish that a company would come along and just do it all for you. Well, did you know that there is a Northern Irish company that sells a pack of vegetables every single second? Did you also know that they sell them in the US, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, Qatar, everywhere? And that company is called Mash Direct from Cumber. On today's show, we sit down with Jack Hamilton. Jack Hamilton is the COO of Mass Direct, and he's also the sixth generation of the Hamilton family farm. Jack's parents, Martin and Tracy, started Mass Direct after their farm was starting to get into a bit of financial bother. Margins were getting tighter, work was getting harder, and it didn't look like they were going to be able to keep on going. So, over a glass of whiskey, over an in-depth conversation, they decided to start Mash Direct. Had a really class conversation chatting to Jack about the future of food, all things potatoes, and much, much more. So that's enough from me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome Jack Hamilton from Mash Direct to your ears. Really hope that you enjoy. Hi, I'm Jack Hamilton from Mash Direct, and you're listening to Best of Belfast. Alright guys, what's the crack? My name is Matthew Thompson and welcome to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates our wee country, Northern Ireland. Each episode gives you the opportunity to get to know and learn from some of the incredible people who call this place home through our unfiltered conversations. The show is brought to you from our recording studio in Ormo Bath, Sparkly Eagle Labs, a co-working space right here in the heart of the city centre. Make sure you don't miss out on our weekly stories as they go live every Monday morning by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also join our email newsletter crew at bestofbelfast.org to have episodes delivered to your inbox, along with some other top secret news content and info. That's it for me for now. Time to jump straight into today's episode with this week's local legend. Really hope that you enjoy. Where we left off. 
Can I even ask you, like, what is your favourite kind of potato? Or is that, like, way too controversial? No, I, I, I mean, for us, majority <laughs> of what we do is Maris Piper. Yeah. So reason reason for Piper is simply it's really, it, it's great, has great yield, which is the really kind of boring technical side of the spud kind of thing. But also the flavour when it comes into mash, you can you can actually, it's, a, it's one of those things where it carries the flavour of the soil in a much better way. A lot of things will just kind of brush into the soil, won't really absorb the taste you get from it. It's not, it sounds like a really bizarre thing to say that it needs to have the flavour of the soil because people say, I don't really like eating mud. <laughs> uh, but if you have the flavour coming from the soil, it means that you have to do less work in the kitchen. So all the work's already done for you by the farmer. And yeah, it's just yeah, a case yeah. of just stick it in the microwave or stick it in the oven and the flavour's there. You don't need to add loads of additional butter and salt and all this nonsense to it. Unbelievable. Well, here my granny will be very, very happy because she's uh, she's a big advocate of the Mars Piper. So, <laughs> Well, I think we're definitely ready to rock and roll. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, happy to go. Unbelievable. Jack Hamilton, thank you very much and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here, Matthew. No, long overdue. Really, really excited to do this. I've been meaning to do it for a very long time. So yes, here we are finally. And the question we always like to start off with is if you walked into an elevator and Liam Neeson was there, how would you introduce yourself on that short ride up? Um, I'd say lovely to meet you, Liam. Uh, and try and get the pleasantries out of the way before saying, look, really what I want to do is tell tell the world about the incredible vegetables we have in northern ireland and i want the world to know about champ and exactly <laughs> what champ is um and at mash direct you might say to him i'd, I'd ask if you'd ever heard of us at mash direct and say you know we're a sixth generation family farm uh we grow the veg we steam cook it on our farm and then we put it in packs to make it easy for consumers and we try and take the the best flavors from veg in northern ireland and bring it to people uh, around the uk ireland and we have ambitions to go right the way around the world as well Boom. Yeah, and you're already doing it. Like US, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, Qatar. I mean, unbelievable. Like, really class. I, think, I reckon Liam Neeson would be a champ man. I reckon he he likes a good bit of champ, I'd I, say. I reckon he'd be a big advocate. Yeah. A big steam bowl yeah. of champ. I think Liam would be all over it. And I'm a big fan of Maastricht. You know that, obviously. It's why you're here today. It's why I'm, we're doing this interview. And something I think is really interesting about you guys is when I look at you and I see anything you guys put out or anything you're doing, you remind me of, like, a digital startup. But... You are a family farm, and that just blows my mind. So can you just maybe track with us a little bit the origin story of Mass Direct and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, Mass Direct started in, uh, in 03, 04 uh, on our family farm. I'm generation number six on the family farm. It was generation number five that really did the diversifier die bit of the business. They're really uh, the hardcore part, which is realizing that we we're in an industry it was my it was my dad specifically and then my mom my mom joined soon after uh, with him and it was looking at the family farm and saying right we've been doing the same thing for a number of years and if we keep doing what we're doing in uh, in a world that's more getting more towards convenience and going more towards supermarket supermarket culture uh we're not going to be here for too long uh so they looked at what we were doing and they looked at how people were eating vegetables and saying you know people are walking past the produce section the supermarkets simply because they're looking at it and thinking, I know how much work goes into that. And I know that we're now both, you know, but, you know, dual families, two, both parents working or more than that, you know, suddenly, suddenly time was leaving people and food was getting lower down the priority list, but people still wanted good quality food. So dad looked at that and went, right, we need to diversify here and uh, had, a, had a glass of whiskey or two uh, <laughs> with a good friend and said, right, 
nothing exists like this. You know, pre-made mashed potato wasn't a thing. There was smash, uh, which is a very different proposition with loads of artificial additives, colorings, preservatives. And he said, right, if we make our veg convenient without going into any of the additives, preservatives, colorings, any of that nasty stuff, and we get it onto the shelf faster than our current produce, because our current produce was taking a good few days to get onto the shelves. He was, yeah. like, he was like, we can actually do food fresher. Like we can make food fresher and faster yeah. and take all the nonsense out of the middle of it. And that's how Mastrack started. We started designing our own machinery. Uh, we designed our own, you know, essentially just going into the into the kitchen uh, with my grandmother's recipe for champ. <laughs> and we just started making it in the kitchen. And then everything was just about scaling that up. So rather than going out there with, you know, we looked at the food manufacturing industry and there are loads of people out there who were essentially using the same machinery to do every single dish. You know, just ready meals were ready meals. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, well, the same thing that works for pasta, works for vegetables, works for this. I mean, you just think about that. In a kitchen, you have different pots and pans for different jobs. Yeah. But these people were thinking, you know, it, it was, um, to be quite rude, letting like too many accountants into a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our finance director will hate me for saying that. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was, it was trying to say, right, we can do food well. We can do it properly steam cooked as you do at home and into a tray and get it onto the shelf to be fresher and it's going to be better tasting. And also fundamentally, we've got some of the best vegetables in the world here in Northern Ireland. And because of the way the industry is going, we're not going to be able to produce them anymore if we keep doing what we're doing. So diversified whiskey was involved. Um, <laughs> Grandma's recipe was involved. Yeah, so it was, it, was a, it was a crazy first few years of getting up and running. It was literally a little white van doing deliveries. So just, it was just get it going, you know, get the stuff out the door. And it was two, it was two local shops. It was... Um, uh, Maguire's and Aikens uh, down Killay and Clinchy, and then the uh, and then a few shops in Cumber came on board afterwards. But it was literally just get it into the van, get it onto the shelves, and get it going. And it was these little independent stores that gave us our start. You know, they trust. Yeah, they yeah, said yeah. they said like we believe in you. You know, we, this is this is going to go somewhere, and we think we can sell this. And it was you know delivering into those two two stores in Killay and Clinchy, and kind of not knowing what was going to happen. You just put it on shelf, and then fingers crossed, you drive away thinking, I really hope this works. And, um, <laughs> And it flew, and the stores loved it. We couldn't, wow. we couldn't fill them up enough, and it just took off from there to going from those, those two little stores to now over, uh, over five and a half thousand stores around the world. Jeez we sell, uh, we sell over a pack a second now. A pack Mastrack. a second? A pack a second of Mastrack. My goodness. Do you have like a metric, like how many tons that is a year, or like not necessarily tons, but like hit me. <laughs> Hit me with it something. Varies. It it, it varies depending on seasonality. So it um I haven't looked at the numbers here for January just yet in the first in the first couple of weeks. Um, but it's you know, we're growing where we do we're doing record sales every single month. Wow. Uh, at the moment, a pack and, a second. Um, yeah, it's, Jack, it's, that's mad. It is mad. It is absolutely mad to think you know where where we've come from from like a small uh, you know essentially a seventy acre farm just outside. Comfort. Yeah. Uh, to now doing that, you know, it's still we still grow the vast majority of the veg ourselves. We now buy in as well from uh, from sixty eight different farms around Northern Ireland as well. So as we've continued to grow, we've looked at other farmers who believe in what we're doing and say, look, this is this is where we want to go as well. And you know, they're doing they're using the best farm practices. We want to buy from them and preserve the taste and texture of Northern Irish food. You know, having a proper bite. You know, carrot and parsnip needs to have that real flavour oh, yeah. and sweetness to it. Uh, the mashed potatoes need to have a certain earthy, nutty flavor that comes out of the field in around, uh, in around County Down as well from the, the rolling drumlins. And you know, it, it all sounds like marketing jargon here. Sure. But, you know, if you go out to even other parts of the UK and taste what's going on, you just see 
what happens when you allow the traditional food culture to completely go out of a place and then somebody uh, comes in with a PR firm and tries to replicate it whereas the (laughs) the real stories and the people who are really passionate the old family uh, family businesses family farms uh, especially here in Northern Ireland where we we've been preserved um, by by a number of reasons you know you get the flavors you don't Mm. get anywhere else and I mean the the thing I would challenge anyone to, if you're out around the rest, uh, if you're if you're in uh, Great Britain or you're down down in the Republic of Ireland, if you go and look at the shelves in supermarkets there, you see what can happen if you don't have local buyers who believe in local producers. Yeah, like you see all this own label, private label, white label stuff, and there's no excitement on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And you walk in, you can't tell where anything's from. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's the own label stuff. You can't tell the provenance story. You couldn't call up the farmer or the fisherman or the producer. Like, you wouldn't know where it is. Yeah. Whereas here in Northern Ireland, you walk onto the shelves and be it a small independent spa store right the way up to your big Tesco superstores. All of them, like, and I'm not leaving any retailers out of this, all of them here have really worked to preserve the heritage and the taste and the textures of Northern Ireland. And while supermarkets and big retailers get a lot of flack i think they deserve a lot of credit for uh for making sure that we've we've maintained the award-winning quality of northern irish produce yeah it's funny so uh as you know my wife jackie's german but uh we were out recently in lidl doing some shopping and we overheard someone they there's they basically were completely and utterly convinced that lidl was a northern irish company <laughs> and i was like wow that is i mean that's that's marketing at its finest but it also shows you exactly what you've just said people have doubled down on northern irishness and obviously it's a big part of your brand before we go forward i'd love to actually kind of park reverse and go back to your story so where did you jump on this mass direct tractor at what point did you get on so i was uh, i was rather late to the party um, so I was, uh, in the, in the early days, you know, master Direct started and I was, I was a young teenager. Um, and I had hair, which was very long. I thought of myself as a bit of a rebel, mm. um, completely unwarranted, but that's what I thought of myself. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to kind of get out of Northern Ireland. I'd grown up with both my parents saying like, farming is hard, get out of farming. Uh, don't, don't follow us into this. This has been the most insanely hard slog for a number of years. Uh, part of the reason Mass Strike was created because just, you know, margins going down, things are tight and just saying, look, whatever you do. And I, you know, I, I, and I think quite a lot of people's parents do that. They say, whatever you're doing, don't do what I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And don't make the same mistakes that I did and all that stuff. So it all came from a deeply loving place, but I really took that on board and went, right. Okay. I'm going to go out and find my fortune elsewhere. And I, I, I went out and I uh, did a. I went down, studied in Dublin, and then uh, did did a postgrad in London. I ended up working in uh, in Nigeria, in Burkina Faso, wow. in Mali, in Senegal, working um, working for NGOs, and then uh, that then transmogrified into doing a bit of journal- journalism over there as well, especially in Nigeria. And um, weirdly, ended up reporting on like the early years of what then became Boko Haram, wow. uh, which took me then to Washington D.C. Uh, and then I was, when I was across there working in DC, um, really we, I, I was with a few colleagues there who were, uh, journalists and we got locked out of the office one morning to somebody, the person with the keys just didn't bother turning up that morning. So we, uh, you can tell how high up in the chain the West Africa department was. Um, so we were, we were all locked out. We were chatting away and one of the girls asked me like, you know, what, what are your, you know, what do you, what do you care about? Like outside of Nigerian politics? Yeah which was kind of a weird thing that she was asking, like an early 20s, you know, kid from County Down saying like, oh yeah, outside Nigerian politics, what's your interest? (laughs) 
and all I did was talk about food, like nothing but food and Northern Irish food and talk about Abernathy butter. And I was talking about Peter mm. Hannon's meats, and like all these things, you'll know, talk about mash direct. And she was like, what are you doing here? You know, what, what are you actually doing sitting here in DC in a city, which I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of DC. It's uh, as a city goes. I, 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 I describe DC as like the matrix. <laughs> it's just like, Feels very robotic. I feel like it's there's not much going on. No disrespect to DC, but I share your dislike for it. Yeah, and it's, it's a bit of a savage place. <laughs> it's a savage place. I mean, it, it's a weird way to think about it. I always kind of when I was there, I always thought about it as the only place that I've ever been that's more sectarian than Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> All they care about is which side you're on. That's mm. the first question. I was kind of saying, look, I'm from County Down. Like this stuff. All this stuff doesn't matter. Like I'm here dealing with like you know I'm trying to flag up what's happening in Nigeria, this is my thing. Now, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Democrat or Republican. If you could vote, who would you yeah. vote for? <laughs> it's the most important thing. And, you know, that's something, something that always stuck out to me. And it, it, it really, I think, grounds me as something that's, you know, one of the things I love about Northern Ireland is one of the things that I really struggle with in D.C. is when you go and get a drink there and you, you know, go out, meet somebody, have a decent chat in a bar and think, God, you're interesting, you buy them a drink. That to them, they interpret as you're rewarding them for their fascinating conversation and they will walk off with that drink. <laughs> and I suppose just speaking of a different culture here and rounds and pints and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. about being Northern Irish and being slightly more communal yeah, and yeah, yeah. sharing. It just, it, I took such a, and I shouldn't have done it. I should have had slightly thicker skin in the whole thing, but I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, this is part of a shared community thing. Yeah. And they would walk away with it. So, yeah, DC didn't work very well for me. <laughs> um, so I ended up chatting about food, coming back, uh, went down, sat down with my dad and said, look, I really want to get back into Mash Direct. Um, I you know, was there kind of early days, peeler, masher, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever I needed done. Um, but wasn't really that enthused about the business in the early days because it was just something I was told, you know, this is not going to be the future. And I realized that something deep down my core had taken on a lot of other messages. You know, well, my, my parents might have said, don't get into this. I saw how much passion and like how much love they had for the land, for the food, for, you know, everything through from the, you know, the hedgerows, to the fields, the soil. It, it meant so much to them and it really, uh, I, I could never get away from it. And it's, it stuck with me and now I'm really happy. You know, I jo- rejoined Mash Direct in, uh, in 2012 and it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful journey ever since. Incredible. And what is it, do you think that you've really brought to the table? Like, is it the communication marketing side of stuff or is it something else? I'm kind of stabbing in the dark here. Yeah. From day one, when I came back into it, I was looking and saying, look, you guys are doing an amazing product and it's selling, you know, it's, it's brilliant in Northern Ireland. Uh, we're, you know, we're growing quickly here, but nobody really knows what the story, like why Mash Direct is so incredible. I mean, people were buying it because of the taste, the flavors, the textures, the food. But I said, like, you know, we've got to talk more about the family meal. We're, we are a sixth generation family farm here. You know, we need to get out there. And this is a message that will really work well on digital. So from day one, uh, my, I, I took it upon myself to just get out there and do the marketing and grew up through, you know, essentially became, I started looking after our digital media and we didn't really have much on social media at the time. Uh, so I was developing that, you know, we've now got over 60,000 people following every single wow. day what's going on on the farm because people care about where their food comes from. Yeah, yeah. And people want to know, people want to see the fields and see it growing and see where the flavors come from. Uh, so I started off doing doing that side of things and then just progressed, you know, on through just you know, as a family business, you just throw yourself at whatever you think needs done. Uh, so I ended up doing quite a few other things and working in a bit of sales and looking after 
uh, looking after quite a lot of the pub chains and then looking after a few supermarkets and um my brother Lance, uh, who's been with the business the whole way through, sales director, has much better uh, better patience uh, <laughs> and an ability to deal with supermarkets in a way that I don't have. Um, I, you know, it's it's uh, straight talking can be uh, can be a big problem when you're dealing with uh, dealing with certain certain um, people. So I mean, he he has a great relationship with them, and it's it's one of those things. It's it's very much a partnership. Uh, between between us and the supermarkets now because of his strong relationships with them and they understand where he's trying to take them to as well. Uh, but then I did a bit of sales and then you know kept doing the marketing bits and then I kept doing bits. And essentially was all over the place by the end of it trying to just yeah, do yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. needed to be done. So uh, recently I've, I've taken on a slightly different role by uh, then going on to become COO and uh, just trying to push on so that we are not only talking about the messages from the ground up but also living it. Uh, the whole way through and making sure that we have a culture and a people culture and that everyone who makes Mash Direct understands what the company is, what the brand is, how important the farm team is and that everyone's joined up the whole time. Yeah. So what, like personally, like what type of shift has that meant for you? Does it mean you're like not so much in the digital trenches producing content and more so like strategy, visionary like doing like lots of speaking and radio stuff or what does that actually look like for you it's much more internal so previously i would have been doing everything looking outside the business okay and telling more people outside the business about what we do whereas now uh in my in my new role uh what i'm doing is you know allowing people to live that within the business and making Ah. sure that it's you know making sure that everyone you know i feel like if everyone is on the same page and everyone is trying to make the best possible veg products and trying to grow the best veg and do all this stuff if everyone's joined up and everyone's thinking the same way then the product speaks for itself and that does the mark you know that the taste and texture tells the story and also uh one of the things that's enabled me to do it is just you know uh, as I've been through the marketing team and stuff like that, uh, we've built really good teams in the last few years. So we're able to take that on. They've grown with the business. Our, our sales team's great. Our marketing team's wonderful. Um, they're able to look after that. And then I'm able to then go in and do a bit more hands-on, you know, get my hands yeah, dirty, yeah, get yeah, back yeah. into the fields, get back, <laughs> get back into the kitchens and, and work away, which is the stuff that I'm really passionate about. Awesome. Yeah. And you were saying to me this morning, you know, you were in, was it the warehouse or the factory at 6 a.m.? Yeah, it's fairly. St- I mean, you've got to be in wow. there just to go and chat to people. And so, yeah. even in the digital age, the farming life is still pretty much the same. <laughs> it doesn't change. You know, di- digital doesn't change the sun. The sun still goes around <laughs> the earth in the same way. The rain still behaves the same way. And while it's something we love to complain about here in Northern Ireland, saying, "Oh my God, the weather's shocking." Yeah, um, it is really good for vegetables. It's great for growing potatoes. <laughs> it is brilliant. <laughs> Unreal. And so, yeah, so the digital space, the digital world, digital technology. Hasn't, you know, it's changed farming, I'm sure, in lots of ways, but not, like you said, it doesn't change the sun. But what it has really changed is the culture around food. And it's changed how we perceive food, how we interact with it and everything like that. And we were laughing before. The first time uh, I ever saw you, ever heard Master Act, ever heard your story was at an event in The Merchant. It was a marketing event. You were chatting away. And one of your slides, of course, you you did it this way. You knew what you were doing. But you give this whole kind of spiel on food porn. And I just remember thinking it was the funniest thing. But actually, you you raised a lot of really interesting issues and questions around that whole sort of culture. So, I mean, I'm just going to set that there and just let you run with it. Do whatever you want with this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the food porn thing was fascinating. Suddenly, it 
the industry kind of just swung on its axis overnight as everyone got really excited about how food looks and food photography and suddenly everyone became a food photographer and everyone's <laughs> in restaurants taking pictures and you've got the think piece on one side saying isn't this awful but also created this kind of self-perpetuating culture of people wanting like lovely colorful stuff which in theory should be great for veg because that's where you get it from mm. and people wanted to show off what they were buying but it was interesting because like the, the industry wasn't quite responding in the way you'd expect it to. What ended up happening was you ended up with it incentivizing a lot of people to go out and show off the expensive restaurants they were eating in mm-hmm. rather than celebrating the story of where the food came from. Interesting. So food porn became this kind of weird uh, weird juxtaposition of everyone talking about the image of food when really they were talking about the image of themselves. Yeah. It was really the important thing. And no one was really doing the, oh, well, where, where's this food come from? Why am I eating this food? Why is you know, Why is this the thing that people put more likes onto and I was breaking down into that and saying right is is the story the individual or is the story the food itself and for Mm. us we we kind of we diverged on that one we decided we're going to do a lot more about the farming message about how we farm and about where the taste and texture of our food comes from yeah we've got you know in northern ireland here i mean i'm not sure if people are aware but we've got more great taste awards than any other area in the uk come on which is kind of crazy when you think about like us up against you know london or manchester or birmingham and all these places but we we punch so far above our weight on this stuff and the reason is because we preserve traditional farming methods and we didn't go you know for for a myriad of reasons northern ireland didn't scale up and didn't have the huge kind of uh the huge projects they do in england and scotland and specifically in the u.s like that kind of that style of uh, well, veg and potato farming didn't come here. We've yeah. got the small rolling drumlins and all these things, so it preserved all those tastes and textures. So to go back to the food porn thing, you know, it it became for us an opportunity in Northern Ireland to talk about the people who make this incredible quality of food, even though it might not look as pretty on a plate. So I'm just you know, mashed <laughs> potato is a difficult thing to start. Yeah, making the stuff. <laughs> it is white and on a white background with white. You know, you're a photographer. You'll understand like the challenges uh, that that can face. So we just we want to talk about the stories behind food and why food tastes better, not do the kind of superficial how it looks on a plate and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong, we still do yeah, videos yeah, yeah. and we still you know we play around with imagery to make sure people understand where it comes from because a picture of a field is actually much more engaging than a picture of a plate. We know we tend to find. Hundred percent, and you know me. You know, kind of the whole purpose of this show. It's very much people driven. It's very much story driven, and I love what you guys are doing in that space. Something else that I know that you're really, really passionate about talking about is kind of the future of food. And we've had a couple of dinners and lunches, and I've just been sitting there, just amazed at all these crazy ideas for for what you want to do with Mass Direct down the line, and things you want to put on the packaging, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just like, whoa, this is so much bigger than just mashed potatoes. So would you, again, I'm just going to set that there, Jack, and just let you talk away. Yeah, I mean, to us, the future future of food is going to be provenance with everything. You know, people want to know where their food comes from, uh, you know, proteins especially, uh, which isn't which isn't really our trade. But the drive is there. People, you know, it's, it's always that thing of um, people always talk about what's going to happen in the future. And I think it, it always sticks to me that the future, by and large, is already here. Mm. It's just not equally distributed. 
So it's just making the future cost effective. Yeah. And for us at Master Act, it's always about trying to get things onto the shelf, kind of between a pound, two pounds, so it's affordable. It's not It's not doing that whole thing of bringing veg somewhere and then saying, oh, well, to get something fresh and healthy, you've got to pay five times the price. Yeah. It just isn't going to work. That's not going to be the future. So we want to make sure it's fresh, convenient, and there. I mean, what what's happening in food at the moment? Um, I suppose the grand ambition in terms of provenance would be a scenario where you could literally scan it in your phone and see exactly the field it came from, how it was grown, and if that's going to be blockchain or how that's going to be, we don't know yet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get there. You know, we we will find a way to get there because we want to show off where our veg comes from. You know, you want to see, you know, you want to see carrots growing beside Strangford Lock. I yeah. probably it, it is stunningly beautiful part of the world um and it's where the flavor comes from it's that lovely sandy soil next to the lock where you get the really incredible sweet flavors so people want to see that you know in addition to that we want to um we want to see a big change in packaging as well you know it's been the big thing for the last couple of years i suppose where we where we are wanting to move towards is is in the future to have fully compostable packaging within 12 months that Mm -hmm. you know you can just put something in with uh you know with your compostables stick that in and then you're you're having a better impact on the world you're not leaving a big footprint um i don't the, the technology again it's there but it is prohibitively expensive We've yeah been, it's getting into that problem of making vegetables five times more expensive yeah um but it'll come you know it's it's not that far away and i strongly believe the future's already here yeah and it exists we've just got to find a way to scale it up so that everyone can enjoy it and it's not just going to be there for people who can afford to be ethical, it's going to be there for everyone to make, uh, make a you know normal choice in their day to day lives and not cost them the world. I mean, for you know the other thing that people are talking about because of this time of year and because of everything, you know, veganism is a huge thing as well. I mean, I, I I'm not vegan myself. I I love butter, uh, which is you know, which will annoy some <laughs> Me people. Too. But it's, uh, I just you know, Abernathy butter on everything that would make my life just you know, not my waistline, but my life would be immeasurably better sure. if Abernathy butter was in everything. Um, other butters are available, <laughs> but I incomparable. Love, I happen to love uh, Allison and Will's butter just that just that bit more. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the the vegan thing is happening, and we you know, on the packaging stuff. We're going to be you know, we we currently still have some black packaging, but we'll be out of that by March of this year. Going green for St Patrick's Day. Hey, uh, nice one. Yeah, the marketing side coming back. Out I again. was about to say that's <laughs> yeah, that's the dark side of the marketing moon peeking its its head out again. God, it's, still it's, it's still It's still still got it, Jack. Still got it. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> that's coming this year, so I'll move entirely out of that just to be a bit uh, to be more sustainable with the idea of in the future being fully compostable as well. And then further on down, you know, the you know we're going to be launching vegan lines this year as well, just because you know we're looking at it and saying you know this is. This is a choice people are making, and it's really you know I, I've chatted to them. We do um, we do I think about uh, eleven different food shows a year. We try and do more every single time. So we did like Jamie Oliver's big festival at the Cotswolds last year. Uh, we're trying to do a bit, few more music festivals to get out of the foodie world because we stay with foodies the whole time. We're preaching to convert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just want to talk to more people, and part of that is we hand over we hand out over a hundred thousand free samples a year. So from Tesco Taste Fest and all these stuff. And essentially what that does is that puts you, well, us in a position every time of like, it's it's like being in your own kitchen and chatting to dinner guests, except a hundred thousand times a year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's high pressure. You've got to get it right every time. Otherwise, uh, people are quite vocal if they eat something they don't want to eat. Yeah. Um, thankfully, the feedback is overwhelmingly positive because we're giving out free food, which makes people happy. Very happy. And yeah, you know, you get direct feedback and 
it used to like seven years ago, the big thing was gluten free. And that was how we, we changed to be 100% gluten free seven years ago because people kept coming to us at shows and saying, either I'm gluten free or my sister's gluten free or my relative or my girlfriend or my, you know, all this stuff saying yeah. somebody in my family or close relationships gluten free. And we said, right, we've got to change because this is becoming a bigger thing. So we've got to make things and we, and we found solutions and we became gluten free. And then now it's veganism. You know, yeah. and it's not, you know, some people are saying it's all media hype and all this stuff, but it's, it's real. People are going that direction. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I understand a lot of the reasons why. Um, and yeah, so we want to make sure that we're making vegetable convenient for everyone and completely, you know, having a range that's suitable for, for anyone yeah. depending on their dietary yeah. needs. That's great. It seems like, it doesn't seem like you guys really do have your finger on the pulse. And actually, I didn't know you did that many live events. And that actually, it explains, for me anyway, why you've been able to be so successful in what you're doing is because your ears to the ground. You know what I mean? You're finding out what people want. Combine that with your kind of digital ears as well and looking at trends and seeing what's happening. I'm starting to now understand why you guys are selling, you know, a pack every single day. So, Yeah, I mean, it's just listening. You just have to let, you know, people, people will tell you what they want. Yeah. You just need to put yourself in a position where you're standing next to them. I mean... Even at a personal level, it's something that I, you know, I, I still struggle with. I was in, um, as why I did a, a course, you know, kind of a, a business training course there earlier on. Oh, sorry, we're in 2019. Uh, so it was last year now. Um, but I was chatting away and somebody said to me, like, it was a guy chatting and he's just really random questions. So like, you seem like someone who walks really quickly. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really weird thing to say. But yeah, like people do comment. And he's like, so how do you get feedback from people? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, yeah, if you, if you walk around your business the way you've walked around this room and like, it's just because I'm excited about things and yeah. I'm charging around and you know, I like running and all this stuff. And he, he was just like, if you move that quickly, how's someone meant to tap you on the shoulder and tell you how you could do something differently? And I thought, right, that's boom. Yeah. And it really resonated with me. I thought, right, if I just walk a little bit more slowly, it just means if I'm, you know, if I'm in the kitchens or if I'm anywhere, someone can just tap me and say, there's maybe a slightly better way we could be doing this. Yeah. Um, and you know, you don't, give yourself the opportunity to hear that if you're if you're charging around looking like you're going a million miles an hour the whole time you're not stopping to listen and that's what the food shows are for us it's wow. it's rather than just standing in a kitchen all day every day sit, thinking like i hope people are going to enjoy this <laughs> um, you go out there and see how they feel and also from our perspective it's therapy you know it's therapy mm. for us to actually see people enjoying the food because otherwise you're just on the end of social media and i i know you've taken a big stand on this yourself and and completely quit social media for us it's not an option and absolutely you know people are really positive on it but it's yeah. really easy to focus on the people who aren't positive who are out there yeah. you know some people don't like the idea of convenience foods at all full stop and i i understand the reason why some people think that we should, you know people come and say you know we should eat in restaurants every night and have wonderful food and I, and i i respect that that's their view on it i don't think that's affordable for everyone yeah sure but they are very vocal on social media or, you know, if, you know, if somebody's vegan, they can be quite vocal about it. And it's just, you know, taking the time to listen and saying, right, how can we, you know, how can we do something that's going to work for you as well without just internalizing the negativity and taking that away? And, you know, I, I, I take my hat off to our digital media team there. Yeah, they always yeah. have a smile on their face, but it's not, it's not an easy, not an easy arena to be in all the time. Definitely. Definitely. So on the whole kind of digital side of stuff, again, like one of the things I just love about Master Direct is I just love your campaigns. Like, I mean, there's so many we could talk about. 
there's two actually there's two i would like to talk about okay because otherwise we could just this could be a two-hour marketing session <laughs> a marketing and like analytical session on master x's social media strategy but the first one is valentine's day a few years ago <laughs> and um we'll also say the peter rabbit campaign so again there it is on the table it's on your plate you do with it what you will yeah, I'll start. I mean, there are two two very different styles of, uh, of marketing approach from our side. And really, the first one was just fun, just straightforward, have a bit of fun. And we came up with the idea of um, it was initially going to be called the Love Spud campaign. We thought that <laughs> might be a bit risque. Um, <laughs> so uh, we ended up doing the, the Valentine's Day um, campaign, which was people could say what they wanted to send to their loved one. And then we would write it on a potato and we would send it to their loved one. And we got some really risque stuff through. We got some really lovely stuff. We had, uh, it, and it was really fun. It was really great. And people really got involved with it. We had a good laugh as a team. And it was a wonderful Valentine's Day project. And on social, it really took off. You know, people, people loved the idea. So it got a huge amount of shares. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was, it was really good. And then weirdly, we started seeing like, businesses popping up like there's one in england and one in the u.s now who are doing nothing but sending messages no on potatoes way. it's a thing that's man. incredible it's a business I mean, it's a business <laughs> idea we missed out on because we were you know maybe we didn't take the time to listen <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's, it's a big thing now and then the peter rabbit campaign is completely the other side of of the whole thing it was it was a really bizarre one for us to get involved with because you know, in our minds, we're still a small family farm from County Down, from Cumber. And suddenly to be sitting, like, literally on the farm at the table where we started at the kitchen table with a couple of the marketing team and be on the phone to Sony in LA yeah, negotiating, yeah. like, marketing strategy to do with one of their blockbuster films and their big Easter film. Yeah. And we're chatting about carrots and saying, you know, oh, you know, we can do this with carrots and this. And they were so excited. Wow. Because they're like, this is real. Yeah. These, these are real carrots in real fields yeah, and all yeah, this yeah. stuff. And I realized to them, you know, they they are marketing people who have always been in an office mm-hmm. and they've never had the opportunity to get out and, you know, get their hands dirty and really, you know, have the, have the provenance message and live what they're talking about. Yeah. And I, you know, we were just buzzing off their excitement. And it was really difficult for us to work with because we work at a very fast pace. And then suddenly they needed to go away to like 20 committees and all the different <laughs> boards and go to Dublin, to go to London, to go to LA. Oh. And again, like hats off to our marketing team for having the patience to deal yeah, with yeah, all yeah. that. So we're just not used to it. We're just used to, let's go, let's do it. Let's start up vibe. Dream up an idea, execute, done. Let's yeah. move on. Same day, same yeah. day stuff. And it's not, you know, it, we're not over elaborate with what we do. And sometimes that comes across and you know, that's how we're able to turn around things really quickly. I mean, I'll, I'll mention a third campaign, sorry, I'll not go on about marketing too much, but one that we really had good fun with and really took off was, uh, you know, we, we always have a good joke in April Fool's Day. We try and get something out there and one year it really took off. Um, we said that the new thing in beauty was going to be mashed potato face masks <laughs> with its wonderful oh, man. with its wonderful qualities with spotty protein was mm. the name we came up with and you rub it in your face and it'll be a natural exfoliant and all this absolute nonsense yeah 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 I mean, we made a video my mom my mom started in the video just like rubbing mashed potato on faces and like all this stuff and then i call you know, it was one of those things that uh it was friday night i was in london for a meeting and afterwards had gone out for a couple of drinks and somebody from sky news called me amazing and said yeah we really love the campaign uh can you go live with this at 5 a.m tomorrow morning it's april fool's day we want you live on tv doing this class 
And I was like, is this an April Fool? <laughs> I was like, are they are they bringing me in to Sky News Studios? The whole like, in London, have to get up really early. I've had a couple of drinks. I know I'm gonna be hungover in the morning. And I'm sitting there bleary eyed, and your dog will be pointing and laughing at me in the studio. And it, instead, I was there and I was doing it yeah, live. And I yeah. and the presenter genuinely rubbed mashed potato all over his face. It Unbelievable! Was, it was amazing. And we had quite a few inquiries for mashed potato face masks after that. Boom. There's the second <laughs> missed product opportunity. Jack, come on. You got to walk even slower than you're walking. Come on, dude. Need, need to diversify much faster in, <laughs> in the beauty products and in the, in the selling potatoes in the post. Yeah, we were joking earlier in, in Root and Branch. What was it? It was like uh, like potato notes in coffee. Just, you know, there's so, much, so many things you could do, man. I think people would love that. Oh, you know, soily, soily coffee. That's what, pe- <laughs> that's what the people want. That's what they want. Um, so on the note of your products, actually, let's, let's talk about them because you guys have got some really interesting stuff. Obviously, you've, you're kind of, your big hitter is your actual mashed potato, obviously. But I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You must have, oh, I'm not even going to put a number on it because I'll be wrong. But in my head, there's at least 20. There's probably, uh, we're over, over double now, so we're we're up to forty five uh, now. That's nuts, which is crazy. I mean, it's something you know. Again, it's just we look. It, it's a very simple idea. We just do side dishes. We do. We just see that as that's our thing. We do side dishes really well. We don't want to push too far. You know, we don't want to go into full ready meals and all that stuff because it's not what we're good at. Yeah, you know, we're veg growers fundamentally. Six generations. This the stuff we're good at, and that's how we get the taste and texture of the product is simply from the soil and growing. Uh, how we do the veg itself. Um, and that's what we've gone with. And we go to these shows and people come up with new ideas. And look, we get, you know, we get other business people in and they say like, this is insanity. <laughs> like, why are you doing so many dishes? Like shelves, shelves are inelastic. You can't get that many products onto any shelf, but just, just do one, just do the mashed potato and scale the crap out of it everywhere exactly. in the world. Come on, man. Yeah, that's it. Henry Ford, a- black car. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's, and, you know, Henry Ford's got his connections to Northern Irish farming as well. Um, you know, he was, he was very connected to, to Harry Ferguson back in the day from Dremore. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things. You, if we, if we did one thing and did it really well, the food industry is so fast moving that somebody else would be able to, you know, our, most of what we do can be replicated really badly. And yeah. that's the thing about the food industry. Like people can do knockoffs and essentially get the accountants into the kitchen saying, yeah, 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 you can yeah, make yeah. this cheaper, you can make this worse. And that's where, like, to be, brutally rude like that's what own label and private label and white label is it's doing really nice good food and then getting an accountant in to take all all the flavor out of it yeah and then selling it cheap yeah so i mean we're well what we do like we're vertically integrated as to get into the business chat we are a vertically integrated business so that's what makes us inexpensive compared Mm -hmm. to everything else that's where we get our value from what does that mean so we are the farm we are the kitchen we are the brand we are Aha, everything you do it all in house everything's in house so Lovely. it means including the marketing including the sales there are to use a agricultural term there are no other snouts in the trough <laughs> um, so there's no one else just making margin before it gets to the shelf yeah yeah cool and we're we're taking that to quite a new level this year as well you know we've got our we've got our uh, 42 well should be 45 different products um, one of the challenges we've always faced, people write to us and say, look, I love, you know, I love your red cabbage and beetroot, but I can't get it in my local store or, you know, I love this product, but now yeah. I can't find it in this store. Yeah. So we are going e-commerce this year. The first time Ooh, we're delivering veg boxes wow. across Northern Ireland. Unbelievable. So it's just, yeah, and it's just, 
consumers ask for it and you know we we have really good relationships supermarkets are amazing but they only have so much shelf space and yeah, we yeah, yeah. we've got loads of products and it also means you know what we'll be able to do is have a subscription service and then when we have huge harvests one of the problems that is in the food industry right now is that supermarkets are you know they're great but they're restricted in what they can do they have things called planograms or everything to be planned in like six months in advance and again the weather doesn't really behave according yeah, to planograms yeah, yeah. Yeah. so sometimes like you know we'll have like a huge bountiful harvest of cauliflower and we'll be like can we please put this like on a price promotion get this out there and they'll like try and type it in and they'll be like computer says no <laughs> i mean some some retailers are really good to work with some retailers can do it but sometimes you just can't you know we don't want to have food waste so when we're yeah. doing the veg boxes what we'll be able to do is you know whenever we've got a really big harvest we'll be able to say thank you to our loyal customers and throw a couple of free ones in awesome and do a lot of stuff as well and then Brilliant. that way we're not going to be sitting looking at a pile of food that's going to go off because a computer system doesn't understand yeah, exactly. how the sun and the moon and the stuff you know, just doesn't understand weather yeah i mean nobody understands northern irish weather no but no no definitely not a computer system somewhere <laughs> yeah inside the m25 yeah definitely that's very exciting man i think gonna change gears a little bit here and talk a bit about you so i don't know if you can even answer this but talk to me about you're obviously a foodie right uh, yeah so I, I wasn't planning on asking you this but like would it be possible for you to maybe share like three places in belfast that you love to go and eat and maybe something like a high end you know price point mid end and then sort of just like a, a quick low end yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, number one on my list at the moment would be General Merchants, mm. simply because you know where everything comes from. Yeah, it's cool. And you can tell, you know, you can talk to them. Everyone there is on the same page about what the reason behind General Merchant is. And you can see, you know, you pick up the menu and there's, you know, obviously there's a few of them now, but you can tell where everything's from. And it's just like, for that reason, like, it's just brilliant. That's what um, you love, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the provenance message is getting out there. And, you know, like, I, I'm fully, you know, I'm I fully signed up like i if i go anywhere on a sunday morning that would be it cool. you know it's it's great food on a sunday morning great brunch um i suppose oh, where else would be on my list at the moment um so there's brunch covered right so let's covered. say let's say lunch can can i jump outside belfast 100 wonderful poacher's pocket in lisbon which is just not, not too far away from cumber i um, write that down i've never heard of it poacher's pocket the poacher's pocket what a great name it is brilliant and it's really again really good food great service everyone there cares about where the food comes from and it you you can taste it you can taste that they are passionate about the raw ingredients that make the end product on the plate and every single time i've been there great experience and really nice you know really nice folks which makes for a really wonderful time i suppose the other one i would have on my list again it, I'd, I'd love to say you know, any of the you know there's so many amazing high-end yeah, restaurants yeah, yeah, in yeah. belfast as well yeah. that do all this food really well but one that's um one that's quite close to my heart as well is the Bushmills Inn. Awesome. Um, not just because I do love a good glass of whiskey. <laughs> uh, and whiskey is part of the thing, you know, part of the elixir of life that founded Mash Direct. <laughs> but uh, for a personal reason, my, my wife is American. Uh, she's from New York. We met when I was in D.C. Uh, so not everything about that city is terrible. There you go. Uh, Silver linings. We, we, had a, we, had a, we, had a, we met three days before my visa expired over there. And, you know, had, we were long distance for two years. And one of the when she came to Northern Ireland for the first time, we went up to the north coast, went to Bushmills Inn, and stayed there for a night. You know, it's not, you know, it's the, it was not the cheapest night. Um, it is, it is, um, it's got a price, but it is 
so worthwhile going up there because it was it was January when she came here for the first time. It's a bold move bringing oh, yeah. her across in January it for is the first bold. time to Northern yeah. Ireland to go for a walk on the North Coast. They, oh, Jack, you're a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> but we had the most wonderful night of just like live music, great food, great people, great chat, and then sitting in front of the fireplace with a glass of whiskey after a bracing walk up on the North Coast. And, you know, it was one of those things. We just had such a wonderful day and evening that night that it's, you know, it's really close to my heart uh, that that was her first time in Northern Ireland. So I'll always, uh, always hold the Bushmills in way up there as well. Unbelievable, man. I'm going to close with a couple of wee staple questions. And the first one is, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland, dead or alive, out for coffee, who would it be and why? Um... I suppose I've already alluded to him earlier, I suppose, just from the industry I'm in, I'd have to say Harry Ferguson. Uh, so for anyone who, who doesn't know uh, Harry Ferguson, he's uh, essentially the inventor of the tractor, Whoa. is from Dromore, was from Dromore. Uh, amazing guy, uh, stubborn, probably wouldn't be great chat over a coffee, <laughs> uh, but would have amazing stories. He was also, well, he invented the tractor. He's also the first ever person on the island of Ireland to have built and flown a plane. Whoa. So he was, the first, he was an aviator as well. And I suppose his story really sticks to me because he never wanted to get into farming. And he ended up revolutionizing farming during the First World War whenever food was scarce, the food industry was changing really quickly. And Harry Ferguson looked at it and said, you know, we're not going to be able to get the hands on the farm anymore because they've all gone to fight uh, in, you know, in the First World War and these yeah. people aren't coming back. Yeah. So he had to revolutionize farming and the Americans uh, were coming up with these ideas, specifically a man called Henry Ford uh, (laughs) was coming up with all these ideas, which were really heavy, physically heavy tractors that wouldn't work in the fields here because it's too wet. Yeah, yeah. So he revolutionized this idea. He invented the, essentially the first real tractor that was going to be, going to be scalable in any way. And no one believed in him here like absolutely there's all these great postcards he was getting sent in from people who they laughed at him when he tried to fly a plane and people just didn't believe in anything he was doing wow and then he went across and he he made this thing work despite you know there and there is this you know there is this slight mentality in northern ireland to put down people who are successful at times and he really just kept pushing no matter what happened this guy was just on it and he just kept going and didn't let anyone stop him. And I think it'd be fascinating to chat to, especially there's one particular moment where I'd love to get his insight, where no one believed him, including Henry Ford. I <laughs> flew across to meet with Henry Ford in, wow. in Detroit. And with by the end of his time across there, having gone to a place where this guy wouldn't give him the time of day and kept trying to buy him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you've got a great <laughs> product, but I just want to I want to offer you money. And yo, this guy Ferguson was like, no, it's not about the money. It's about this is going to revolutionize agriculture. Yeah. And you're not saying you're trying to buy this, but we're going to keep growing from here. By the end of it, Henry Ford was so sold on this guy that they just had a gentleman's agreement that they were going to go into business together. It was a handshake. And all the lawyers and accountants and anyone in the service industry could not pull them apart. For Unbelievable. The rest of their lives. And of course, when the, when the two men died, then the lawyers got involved and the, everything yeah, yeah, fell yeah, pieces. Yeah. But just the bond between those two men and the mutual respect was amazing and just to have that as a guy from Dromore who maybe a lot of people haven't heard of but everyone may, may have heard of Massey Ferguson yeah yeah, yeah. no name and they get you know, his business partner as well being David Brown a lot of people wouldn't know who David Brown is uh, another tractor pioneer people wouldn't know that name it's also the tractor that's in the front of all of our packaging is a David Brown oh nice uh, the red one the red tractor is awesome it's, it's a real tractor it's on the farm it's uh, <laughs> 1951 David Brown it was the first 
innovation on our family farm. That tractor was actually the first tractor my grandfather bought, and it was the first innovation on our farm that wasn't a horse. So wow. to us, it means innovation in farming. Uh, but David Brown uh, invented that tractor, and people don't know him, but they'd know his initials because if you buy an Aston Martin or no Aston Martin, you know, of DB9s and DB7s, yeah. the DB is David Brown, another tractor man. Unbelievable. So agriculture, we, yeah, we, there's a few random things out there. They kind of get involved in supercars and get involved with the big engineers. It was, you know, exact, you know tractors used to be the forefront of innovation uh, and yeah. pioneering and engineering because they were trying to do the craziest things. And one of them was from, from County Down. That's mental. I actually think, now that you say it, I think if you're driving on the motorway towards Dublin, once you kind of hit the turnoff where Hillsborough is, I think there's like a wee sculpture of an airplane I wonder if it has to be something to do with Harry Ferguson. I'd I imagine, imagine. So the first first flight was down somewhere. I think it was in around Trella or somewhere down, down somewhere down towards Newcastle. I think he flew maybe from Newcastle to Ardglass or something like that. But it was Unreal. just and again, everyone said you're mad. You're not going to do it. And the fact that not only he did it, he then did it another couple of times, crashed, almost killed himself, <laughs> got back into the plane <laughs> and kept going. He was just he was on a mission. It's brilliant, brilliant. Right, Jack. Last question for you. If you could take yourself out for coffee whenever you had long, wavy hair <laughs> way back in the young teenage days, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I suppose the advice I would give myself would be to let other people help me. Because mm. at the early, you know, I, I was... I was really, you know, when a teenager just thinking like, you've got to do it. You've got to prove yourself. Yeah. And every single thing, just you've got to prove yourself. So everything was very individual at that stage. I wanted to be a journalist, but I wouldn't let, you know, if people were like, oh, you've got to come meet this journalist. I was very much, no, my writing will stand <laughs> for itself. And all, it complete nonsense. Like, you know, it's never going to work. You've got to let other people help you and you've got to work together. And um, yeah, it took me quite a while to learn like other people trying to help is a good thing and collaboration and taking ideas and you know welding them together to come up with something better. You've just got to take the time to listen, to collaborate and and really to work together with people because you don't achieve, you know, people don't achieve things by themselves. They achieve things with, you know, be it a family, you know, in our case, you know, a family to support each other around and a broader team that all believes in what we're doing. But if you try and do everything by yourself and don't bring people with you, it's a very lonely place. Absolutely. So I'd say, uh, you know, listen, collaborate and uh, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> slow down. Don't walk as fast. How many miles per hour have you got down to now? <laughs> Depends on the time of day. <laughs> Depends what? how many coffees, what time of day, what I'm up to. I'm still charging around at times, but just uh, uh, every now and again, just taking that moment just to walk slowly. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking this moment to chat to us. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. See you later. Bye. Absolutely unbelievable stuff. That's class. Seriously, it's so incredible to see what a local company is doing and just how far, you know, a family farm from Cumber can really go. So, Jack, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. And, guys, thank you very much for listening. You can find a photo of Jack along with links about some of the things we were talking about today at bestofbelfast.org. You can also sign up to our newsletter there if you'd like emails about whenever new shows go live or... If you're listening on a podcast app, which I'm sure you are, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the usual places, you can subscribe to the show on there and you'll get them delivered every Monday morning when new shows go live. That's it for me. My name is Matthew Thompson. This is Best of Belfast, the show that celebrates Northern Ireland. And until next Monday, 
Have a great one and all the best. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Hi guys, I'm Rob and I'm from Queensland and I'm a proud member of the Best of Belfast Producers Club. I listen to the podcast for a number of reasons. I love Belfast, Northern Ireland and the country and the people in it. I have a connection with Northern Ireland as our family came to Australia in the 1800s from the beautiful county of Fermanagh. I love what's going on in Belfast, the entrepreneurs, the innovation, the technology and the spirit. My favourite podcast is definitely the Tim Brundle episode, although I do have many other favourites. I support the podcast financially because I believe that quality work deserves fair financial support. It's important that we continue to hear about the amazing people of Northern Ireland and what they are achieving. So if you've been sitting on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you would really miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, as I would, I highly recommend considering joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org. And I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.